Corinthians chapter number 16, and uh, I'll read a few verses of scripture. I'm not going to keep you long tonight. I really didn't have uh, too long of a message. I thought uh, that after the service, we might work on taking some of the Christmas stuff down and uh, a few things like that, but uh, ended up with skeleton crew anyway, so we'll worry about that another time. It won't hurt us if, uh, if it's up another service. That'll be all right. And uh, we'll try to get that down sometime when the people share it knows where to put it, amen. And then that way they don't have to search for it next year because uh, I probably would not put it where it goes. Uh, and so I wasn't going to preach very long tonight and uh, uh, just try to share just a, a few thoughts here with you as we talk, think about some fundamental Baptist doctrines, distinctives of Baptist. Now when I say Baptist distinctives, really, uh, it's interchangeable with Bible believers, Bible believer distinctives, uh, because before there was ever, uh, before they was ever called Baptists, they were called Christians in Antioch. And uh, so uh, let's look and see what the Bible said here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16 and verse number one. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the church at Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I'm come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name that you touch, help, Lord, the service time tonight. God, I know, Lord, that you know what needs to be done. Uh, God, uh, no doubt on listening by means of internet tonight or folks that are sick, Lord, afflicted in body. I pray, God, that you touch them and help them, Lord. Do that now as only you can. We'll thank you for all that's accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want us to look a little while tonight here at, uh, and really this, these verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16 deal with giving. And uh, there's a lot of messages that could be preached from these verses dealing with the different types and aspects of giving. And, uh, you know, years ago, I heard Stenet Blue, he'd preach a series through uh, 1 Corinthians 16, talking about the different kinds of giving. Uh, but I really don't want to focus on uh, that per se tonight. What I'd like to do is back up a little bit kind of toward a helicopter view of these uh, verses and uh, point out to you tonight that uh, these offerings were, uh, they were individual to the church at Corinth. Now, you know how that uh, Paul, of course, was founder of a lot of churches throughout uh, Asia Minor and uh, Corinth being one of those uh, churches that he was uh, founder of and uh, wrote a lot of letters. And that's where we get our church epistles. This is where we get our church doctrine from is the letters that uh, Paul wrote to these various churches. And here... Uh, he's writing to these churches and he's trying to, it's kind of like their father in the faith. He's trying to guide them on the way. Now, he tells the church at Corinth, he gives them some uh, advice, gives them some marching orders uh, about giving. And uh, he said that he'd given, he'd given this same advice to the church at Galatia. And so it was that the church at Galatia was uh, responsible for their offering taking. Uh, we'll see here that he tells the church at Corinth, basically what they're doing here is taking up an offering for missions. 
There's uh, some, uh, there's some Jew, Jews there in Jerusalem that are suffering under the persecution of Nero. And so these churches that are on the, uh, on the outside of Jerusalem are sending money, missionary money in to help those churches. And so, but Paul leaves it up for them to collect their own offerings and to elect who they want to send up there and run their own missions program. And so what you can see in that is that these churches were autonomous. That is that they operated completely on their own. Now, last week, we looked at the infallibility of the Scriptures. Tonight, I want us to think a little while on the autonomy of the local church. The autonomy of the local church. Now, what does that word mean? That word autonomy simply means freedom to govern one's self. And so it has always been, always been that Baptist churches were independent. Now, you say, whoa, wait a minute preacher. How about the Southern Baptist Convention? And a lot of churches in our area pulled out of the convention many years ago. Independent churches, that is. I don't think, I don't, and I've done a lot of study on the history of Concord Baptist Church. I don't believe Concord has ever been a part of the Southern Baptist Association. So there is churches around that are Baptist, but not a part of the Baptist Association. And so, listen, the Southern Baptist Association began, I believe, in 18 1963, and it probably started with some uh, good intentions, and that was a long time ago, but there was churches for 1,800 years prior to the Southern Baptist uh, Association, uh, uh, Bible-believing churches that believed in the independent, autonomous operation of the local New Testament church. Uh, Now, uh, we think about uh, associations, and we think about, uh, you know, fellowships. I'm trying to think conventions, uh, all these different words uh, that are used uh, to uh, group churches together. That sounds like a good idea. Why not get together if you got a bunch of churches that believe alike? Why not bring them together in an association or in a fellowship or in a convention? Then all of them can put their uh, earned money together and their shared ideas together. And, uh, and so you see, it sounds like a good idea. But in reality, what ends up happening uh, is anytime you start giving men money and authority, they start running roughshod over the body of Christ. Uh, and so the, the Bible, the way that uh, God uh, the church out was to be uh, independent of every other congregation. Uh, in other words, I'm responsible for what happens here uh, and somebody else is responsible for what happens up the road. Uh, let me say this, uh, Baptist churches have always been congregationalists. Uh, that is, they vote on things and decide ways forward by congregational vote uh, and I believe that's the way God intended for it to be. The church seeks the will of God, of course, the pastor, he seeks the will of God, the deacons seek the will of God. Then they come together and they vote and whatever the majority is, it wins. Amen. And that's the way it ought to be. And so we see that's the way that the church is laid out is to run as a body by its sin. Now, they say right now there's a big movement uh, that's throwing off on independent fundamentalism. And uh, there's, uh, there's uh, shows on TV about how terrible it is and podcasts. They say that Jack Howells started the Independent Baptist Movement. 
in the 1960s in Hamden, Indiana. I'm here to tell you this, uh, this evening that that's simply not true. Jack Isles had a great big church in Hamden, Indiana. First Baptist Church, Hamden, Indiana, biggest church in the whole country. Famously pulled out of the Southern Baptist Association. And when he did, a lot of other churches pulled out of the association as well. Uh, and he kind of led a movement in the 80s that was pulling churches out of the Southern Baptist Association. But there's, uh, churches, there's churches all over America that never were a member of the Southern Baptist Association. So they didn't have, they'd have to be pulled out because they never was in. Now, I'm not just kicking the Southern Baptist Association. I am not. I'm telling you, there's some good brethren in the Southern Baptist Association. I, I know some good preachers that are Southern Baptists, men that wrote good books and did good works that are Southern Baptists. I, I don't believe, I don't believe that's the way God ever intended the church to be run. I believe God intended each church to have a local congregation that uh, with the leadership of the Holy Spirit ran itself. Uh, and so uh, we, uh, I want to I focus on why I believe that is tonight. Now, let me say this. Sometimes independent Baptists are the least independent people on the planet. You know why that is? Because they don't stick their nose in what everybody else's church is doing. Uh, you know, well, that, that church had a Christmas tree. This church, had, this church had this. That church had that. Listen, there's uh, churches and ministries that do things. That, no, it's not the way I do it. And I may not like it, but it ain't none of my business. Because uh, God didn't call me to pastor that church. You see what I'm saying? Uh, what, the only place where it's my business is right here. And I tell you, I did not realize until the last year or so, as God has prospered the ministry, and I've got to go a lot of places preaching and getting involved, I didn't have any idea. Just stuck up here. I'll I tell you, I've spent my whole ministry stuck up here in a little old holler in Pensacola, North Carolina, just minding my own business. But I've, I've got an education over the last year or so of all the politics that goes on inside the independent Baptist movement. Well, uh, he preaches for this one, so he can't preach for that one. And this one likes this one, and this one likes this one. There's all these circles and cliques that people run in. I ain't got time for that business. I, I tell you, I don't. I don't have time to be in circles or cliques, and I know birds of a feather flock together and all those sorts of things. But I'm just, hey... If you like me, you like me. If you don't, you don't. I'm going to be what I'm going to be. I'm not running to be a pastor anywhere else. I'm not trying to be over a fellowship. I'm not interested in being the president of uh, my friend, some kind of a, a, a get-together. Uh, I'd rather just uh, pastor and preach where God had opened the doors and allowed me to uh, and uh, us worry about what happens here and they wonder about worry about what happens out there. So... Uh, the fact, let me say this too before I get into where I'm going. The fact is, just because we don't believe in associations, conventions, and fellowships, uh, don't believe we should be a part of them, that doesn't mean we can't fellowship with other churches. I saw Brother David Edwards today. He's going to come up in March and one Sunday night bring Turkey Cove up. We'll have a fellowship meeting together with Turkey Cove. I believe that's good and right. I believe churches ought to get together and do things together. I just think that when it's over, they ought to be responsible for their own selves. Now, you say, well, what's the matter? What's the big deal with a fellowship, an association, or a convention? I'm going to give you three things tonight. And uh, these is just, this is what I've seen over the years, experienced, and uh, I believe it to be true. Let me give you three things. Number one, there's a problem with control. 
my friend, one of the major problems with associations are the control that they end up exerting over the local New Testament church. Now, this past year, the Southern Baptist Association had a big hubbub. You might have seen it. It was all over the news. They were voting on whether or not to allow women to be pastors. And uh, boy, on the convention floor, it was raucous. And I mean, one was to stand up. And what happened was they had two large uh, Southern Baptist churches in the association that both had women pastors. And uh, so there was a motion to kick them out of the association because of that. And boy, they had a big, oh, it lasted for days down there in New Orleans. And it was on the national news. And uh, talking about, you know, uh, the vote they's going to have on women pastors. Now, they ended up doing the right thing. They voted to kick them two churches out. I say, hallelujah, amen. They did the right thing. But here's my argument. If I, was a, if I was a church in Yancey County, I wouldn't want somebody voting in New Orleans about whether or not we ought to have women pastors. That ought to be my decision. That ought to be my church's decision. That ought to be up to anybody else to begin with. See what I'm saying? Now, they made the right decision, but it shouldn't have been their decision to make. Uh, uh, you see, associations in large denominations, they exert influence over smaller congregations. Let me tell you why. They use money. Now, it's not necessarily that they're giving churches money, even though that does happen, through grants, they grant churches money. But what it is, is a lot of these associational preachers, they have, uh, they have uh, uh, retirements. They got retirement funds. Uh, there's, uh, there's a guarantee of financial stability. Uh, all kinds of different things that are available. Ins- health insurance, all kinds of things that are available from the association. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm talking about some Baptist Association, but there's others. A lot of other associations and conventions that offer similar benefits. Well, that sounds good, right? Be a pastor of a church and have a retirement plan and have health insurance. Well, that's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you want me? Well, here's the problem. You preach what they don't like, and then they say, if you don't straighten up, we take away your retirement fund. If you don't straighten up, we'll take away your insurance, see? And then they got you over a barrel. Are you, are, you, are you reading me? Are you following what I'm saying? And so that is the way. And you say, well, that would never happen. Let me tell you something. There is a large contingency right now of progressive Christians within the Southern Baptist Convention that are pushing for all kinds of liberal agenda stuff. And I know enough about liberals to know this. They won't quit until they get it done. They won't quit until they get it done. And so there is a problem with control. Let me say this, there's a problem with corruption. If you don't remember anything else I say tonight, remember this. Absolute authority, absolute authority is a breeding ground for absolute corruption. When you are in a place where you can't be questioned, you're calling all the shots, then uh, eventually corruption comes. You know, many associations and uh, many uh, uh, conventions, different things, they use their money and influence to cover up abuse. And that's a shame. That's a shame. And I tell you, it's happened in the independent Baptist movement. Uh, even though you, we say we don't, have a, we don't have an association, what you call a, a convention per se. But there's churches that run together. 
And there's been men that have abused children and uh, been allowed to leave that place and go to another place and find a landing spot as a pastor, as a, as a uh, associate pastor, as a youth pastor. And I'm going to tell you something. There is never any excuse for that. Never. A man that abuse a child and use his, use his, I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's, uh, if it's physical or if it's text message. I don't care what it is. A man that would abuse a child ought never be in the ministry again. That's true. But you know, these associations, they, they use their money and their influence to cover up things like that. Because they're, they're afraid it'd look bad. They don't want to get out. They don't want it to get out. So they use their money and influence. And it happens. You see what's happened in the Roman Catholic Church, but it happens in every denomination. And a lot of the times, the major cover-ups are done through the influence of these cooperative groups. And that hadn't ought to ever be. That hadn't ought to ever be. I'm going to say this. I'm going to make a statement right here. I grew up uh, in my young uh, independent Baptist life, I've heard preachers preach about how young ladies, you know, if they dressed a certain way, they deserved what they got. If they got abused, that's hogwash. Uh, a lady ought to dress modestly, but on the other hand, regardless of how young ladies dressed, a man ought to keep his eyes to himself and his hands to himself. That's exactly right. And you can't blame you. you that's so. That's so juvenile to make like to you know. Should a young lady dress appropriately? Sure she should. Sure she should. But should a, a man be a man and do the right thing and walk away? Listen to me now. And not get... Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it is that a lot of these associations, they'll push privately. Not only will they cover up abuse, but they'll push privately held doctrines and belief on the churches within the associations. Think about the United Methodist Church right now. Uh, this big church over here in Burnsville, the Higgins Church, they just uh, voted to pull out. You know, they're now, they're now a, they're not, no longer United Methodist Church, they're an independent Methodist Church. I thought to myself, well, that, you know, that's catching on, independence. <laughs> People's like, wow, being a member of an association ain't so cool when you don't like your association no more. And so they've, they've, they voted to pull out. Well, the church up here in Pensacola, they voted to stay in. And so you know what they've done? You know what they've done? A lot of them liberals from over in town, you know what they've done? They've drove up Pensacola. Now they're up here in Pensacola at this church. See, that's the problem with it. Are you listening to me? That's the reason I like being an independent church. That way I don't have, I don't have to care what anybody in Murfreesboro, Tennessee thinks. I don't, ha I don't have to care what anybody, what anybody in Nashville thinks. I don't have to worry about it. Uh, because all we have to worry about is what God thinks. And if God's happy with it, then we'll be happy with it, right? I believe that's the way God intended the church to be run. There's a lot of reasoning behind why people get into it, and I'm not knocking it. I'm just simply saying that it's a lot easier to just do it the scriptural way. So there's the problem with control, and then there's the problem with corruption. Then let me give this, I'll be done. I told you I'm going to preach long. There's a problem with complacency. Did you know what? I grew up, in, I grew up a, uh, a Southern Baptist. And I did. And uh, some of the best Christians I ever knew. I mean, son, I had Sunday school teachers as a little kid that I thought walked on the water. 
My grandmother's Southern Baptist, and I grew up Southern Baptist. And I got a lot, like I said, I got a lot of friends that are. But you know what? I was in Southern Baptist Church for 18 years. To my knowledge, I never laid eyes on a Southern Baptist missionary. I can't ever recall it. I never recall us having a missionary come by. Because you know what we did? Once a year, we took up our money. We sent it in for Lottie Moon. They tell me that when, you send you, when they send their money to Lottie Moon, that's their, that's their yearly missions fund, that, uh, that about uh, half of it goes to administrative costs and the other half goes to the field. And that's the only thing I ever knew about missionaries. Uh, once a year, we take up from Lottie Moon, send it off to Lottie Moon. And I tell you, I believe that's a problem. I think a lot of these churches, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say this, and y'all going to laugh because we got so few here tonight, but... <laughs> Usually we would have more than this. But I think a lot of these little churches up in these hollers, these little Southern Baptist churches, they fell off to nothing, four or five people on Sunday morning, maybe 10 people. And they've kept the doors open. They've kept going because they're a part of the association. The association keeps them propped up. They don't feel like they've got to do a whole lot. Once a year, they take up an offer and send it to Lottie Moon. Well, we're supporting missionaries. We're helping missionaries. And it, it breeds a complacency in the church. You know, here... We have missionaries, you walk back there on the, and look at them on the back wall, you put your money in the offering plate on Sunday night, and you know where it's going. Melissa's writing the checks and sending it out to those missionaries there on the back wall supporting those missionaries. We don't have to wonder about what missionaries we're supporting, where it's going. They're accountable to us. Uh, it's not filtered through a big system somewhere. There's not somebody robbing half of your money that you're sending. You see what I'm saying? I just think it's better all the way around to be independent. I believe, I, beyond that, I believe it's the way God intended the church to run. Autonomous of the other churches. Autonomous of the other churches. I believe that. I believe that. One God, one body of Christ, but each church operating under its own authority. Let's stand to our feet. Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for this opportunity, Lord, that you've given us preach a word of God tonight. Father, I just pray, Lord, I ask God that you touch, Lord. Help us, God. As the people of Concord Baptist Church, we try to be an autonomous church, a church operating on our own. Lord, I pray, God, you'd always help us to stay that way, Lord, and that we would honor you with it. God, I pray that you'd help us not stick our nose in the business of other churches, but, Lord, just uh, think about what's going on right here in our, our church. Do that now as only you can. Lord, I pray that you'd be these that are sick. God, I pray that you'd bless them. Lord, I said, it's a tough year. Lord, this is a tough winter. I pray, God, that you'd help them. In Jesus' name we pray.